Today's scripture reading is taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11 to 16. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now let's invite Reverend Gabriel to give today's sermon, God's sovereignty over our nation. Good morning, church. We are celebrating uh, the GB's Enrollment Sunday this morning, uh, but we are also continuing on our team on building nation. So that's why my sermon title, the title that was given to me is God's sovereignty over our nation and just now just right before service um, you know me and Reverend Lenita we were just saying like um, we arranged this way before time way before knowing that this is uh, the critical time uh, leading up to election day right so God has his own timing and we are just his messenger we are just his workers now I wonder how many of you have um, I won't ask you to raise out your hands, but how many of you have read through First King, Second King, First Chronicle, and Second Chronicles? And if you had, did you realize that there are stories that you have read in First King and Second Kings that are repeated when you come to First and Second Chronicles? Some of us is like, is it? <laughs> Go back and look at your Bible again. Stories like King Solomon, he seek uh, wisdom from the Lord. Um, it was mentioned in First and Second King, and it was mentioned again in uh, First and Second Chronicles. Uh, same goes to the visit by uh, Queen uh, Sheba, the building of temple, stuff like that. So the question is, what is the reason um, of these stories being repeated? in different uh, books of the Bible. Now, let me just... Uh, yeah, this is the, the slide. Now, the answer is simple. The story is repeated to offer us a different perspective, a different view, a different emphasis. Now, if you look at the first row, first and second king is written around 550 to 500. Um, 60 BC. During that period of time, the Israelites, they were still in exile. They were still being captured and in the foreign land in Babylon, uh, Babylonian kingdom. Our first and second chronicle, it was written later of the year. Uh, it was written around 450 to 440 BC. By then, the Israelites who were in exile, they were already taken back 
back to their homeland to build, to rebuild their nation. And so first and second Kings, the emphasis was given uh, to address the hard-hearted um, Jews. They were going through exile and they were being reminded of the reason for the exile. They were warned uh, to repent, right? And first and second chronicle, the emphasis was given to inspire, to give them hope, to give them faith in God as they come to seek nation building. And so the question that, you know, the Israelites, they were back in their hometown and their burning question is, how do we build our nation? And I think as Malaysians, we are also interested to find out the answer to these questions. How can we rebuild Malaysia? How can we restore our nation? And the first thing and the natural thing to think about is a person. We all enjoy watching, you know, um, maybe most of us, not, if not all, all of us, uh, enjoy watching hero movies, right? So for the uh, Jewish people, very naturally, the tendency for them is to think about someone who will rise up above everything else, someone who will rise up above every circumstances, a hero, a political hero, someone who is like David. Why David? Because King David was the most successful king throughout the whole history of Israel. During King, king David's time, there were peace. There was peace around. People live in peace and, you know, they enjoy that abundance of provision. Even uh, King Solomon, uh, his son, enjoyed that kind of provision because of the work of King David. And so it's the same as it comes to, uh, to us in our uh, context here as we think about restoring our nation. The tendency is to think about someone, you know, a person, a potential candidate, political candidate, a potential someone who will rise up above every chaos in Malaysia to take the lead and to bring Malaysia into the brighter, a brighter future. But in reality, we all know that that's not the answer, right? That's the tendency, but that should not be the answer. In reality, even though King David is a very successful king, he's supposed uh, to be, he's called the man after God's own heart, but he's not perfect, right? We all know what he has done uh, at the later year of his reign. So King David is not the perfect man. And on top of that, in both the exilic and the post-exilic period, King David was no longer around. He's already way uh, gone, right? As well as King Solomon. And so the Israelites, for them to think about David, who is not around, then they think about the Davidic uh, line, the promise of a Messiah, someone who will come after David, someone who will um, come after the Davidic uh, line, his descendant, because God made a promise to King Solomon. Later on, God also made a promise to Solomon, if you follow my command, if you keep my decrees, someone after you will sit on my throne forever and ever. And so it doesn't surprise us that when Jesus came and Jesus, um, you know, he was the promised Messiah and the people recognized that and they forced him. They literally forced him to become the king of Israel. That was the mentality among the Jews back then. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we may place our hope in a person when we come to think about political redemption. 
we are disappointed by the political situation. We are disappointed by certain political parties. We are disappointed by certain people, you know. Uh, and, and then we come to ask, what is the answer? And what most uh, likely that comes to our mind is that we turn and look at other people. From this disappointing group, we turn to look at that promising group. From these disappointing um, politicians, we turn and look at other politicians. And we pray that hopefully this is the one that will be different. You know, we pray that probably this party will be different. We'll finally keep whatever promises that they are making. And we need to be careful when we place our hope entirely, fully on a person, on a political party. I remember many years ago myself, um, I think it was before 2018, okay, it was before 2018, at the point of time preparing for campaign, you know, political uh, uh, campaigning and all that. And I was just scrolling through my Facebook page and I come across this uh, video. Inside this video, some of you may have uh, seen it before, if you still remember. Inside this video was a young, rather young, relatively, okay, young uh, Malay politician. And what he was doing inside this video, it was a huge gathering of thousand people. And this young um, Malay politician, he, he said boldly, he said, I want to wish all Christians in Malaysia Merry Christmas. And it was a brave move, even back then, uh, even now, in today's context, for a Malay politician to openly and publicly uh, wish Christians Merry Christmas that um, would have raised uh, eyebrows of some other Malays, you know? And so in my heart, I was thinking, wow, this young leader looks promising. He could be the change factor for Malaysia. He could be the next rising star in, in a few years' time. He could take over the position uh, of leading Malaysia. He would be the prayer answer. I really was thinking like that in my heart, you know, because he looks really quite promising. But many years later, not many years later actually, turned out um, he was accused of some uh, sin or, or, or sexual sin that I should not, you know, go into the details here. He betrayed, he turned his back against his own political party and he was actually one of the key persons behind this turn of government in the year of 2020. I should not name any name here, but most of you would know by then who am I talking about. Turn out who I think could be the change factor of Malaysia politics is not the answer that I was looking for. My whole perspective towards this person changed after that. And so my brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be careful because, um, you know, people change. People change. We need to be careful when we place our hope, our trust on politicians, on someone, on a superhero, on someone who looked very promising and we just go like, this is the answer. We need to be careful. Even King David sinned. King David is the man after God's own heart. 
And true enough, he's the man after God's own heart because he repented after that. But it reminds us that all of us, we are not perfect. We are learning. And so we should not place our hope solely on a person. And so that goes in line with the sermon title this morning. We should turn and look at God and look at God's sovereignty. His sovereignty is over, is above every authorities, is above every names, is above every kings, is above every rulers ever known to us. God is above every nation. God is above every every kingdom. A few years ago, Christians, uh, we were accused of trying to build Christendom. You know, we, we, are, we were accused of uh, wanting to build a, a, a nation that is solely built upon Christianity. That's what you call a Christendom, right? Perhaps the accusers, they don't understand what we mean, what we really mean when we pray this. Perhaps they've heard about our prayer as we pray the Lord's Prayer. What, what, what do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? We pray that your will be done on earth, right? As it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Oh, and so they were like, wow, you are praying for Christendom to come upon Malaysia. God's kingdom to come upon Malaysia. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But actually, that is not what we mean. We are not building a nation um, of Christendom, right? We are not doing that. We are praying for God's will to be done. What does it mean? We are praying for God's goodness to come upon Malaysia. We are praying for God's righteousness his justice to come upon Malaysia. That's what Christians mean when we pray that God's will be done, God's love be seen in Malaysia, God's righteousness be seen in Malaysia rather than weakness, rather than corruption. We pray for God's love, for God's justice to be done. Why? Because Christendom is not um, our what we seek for because the kingdom that we are trying to build is greater than Malaysia. Let me repeat that, right? The kingdom that Christians are trying to build is greater than Malaysia. Would you say amen to that? Because our focus is not just on one single nation called Malaysia. Our focus is across the globe, across the world, for God's will be done on earth, including Malaysia. For God's will to be done, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And as we seek that, it should be benefiting not just to the Christians, but also to the non-Christians, right? That's what we call common good, huh? common good. Now let's turn and look at our text this morning and see what are some of the lessons that we can learn and apply in our context even today. Shall we read together Second Chronicle? Uh, chapter 7 verse 11 when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace now by the time the Israelites they were reading these words they were the temple was gone already right remember it was during this period of uh, post-exilic that they were reading these exact words that you and I, we are reading this morning. But then, as they read this word, they are reminded of what happened in the past. <clears throat> right? And so that background of what happened in the past, that background 
is that Solomon had just finished building this great temple. The readers, they were supposed to find the answer in the Word of God that was already given. They were, they were, they were supposed to find the answer to the restoration of their nation in the Word of God, in the history that they have went through. And so, yeah, we are, we are doing the exact same thing this morning. The background to this story, Solomon completed, Solomon, um, uh, you know, finished the temple of the Lord. And for the Israelites, the temple is, um, the center of their religious life. The temple is a symbol of the presence of God. Just like today, if I, if I, if I were to ask you, what would you think of if I say presence of God? Many of us would think about church building, right? This temple. This is the 21st century New Testament temple of God church. The church building as the people of God congregate, as we worship God, just like this morning, we think about the presence of God. We welcome, we know that the presence of God is found here. Alright? But then it is not enough. Uh, it is not enough. Why? Because God has to say this following verse. Okay, let's read together verse, uh, verse 12 and see why it is not enough. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Now, King Solomon can build a great grain temple and God it doesn't mean that God has to stay inside the temple. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that God, because of this, this is the greatest building in, in the whole horizon. And so God, you have to stay here. God, you have to choose this place because I have built this temple for you. It doesn't come naturally. For God to say this, God say one, I have heard your prayer and I have decided that I should answer your prayer. I have chosen this place. God, He Himself chose that place, that temple to be His dwelling place. God shown favor to Solomon when he is not obliged to, when he doesn't have to. He chose to show favor to Solomon and by doing that to the, to the Israelites as well. God heard the prayer before He manifested to Solomon. And so our prayer goes before the presence of God, right? Our prayer goes before the presence of God and God heard our prayer and God decided to choose the temple for Himself. God decided to choose this place, not because He has to, but He decided so. God decided that you and I, you know, He shall dwell among us, not because He has to, but he so desired because he's sovereign and so he can do anything. King Solomon can do anything that his heart desire. So with God, God can do anything that his heart desire. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we can do many things in the name of God, but God is sovereign in what he wants to achieve. God is sovereign above everything. God is, is sovereign in who he chooses to accomplish the task for His name's sake. And for those of us who trust in ourselves, we may not find the message this morning appealing, 
You know, we may not like the message. We may not like to hear that God is sovereign. If God is sovereign, then who am I? We may not like to hear that, but that's exactly the message that we need to hear, that God is sovereign, that God is God, that you and I, we are not God. God is almighty. God is in full control. We are not. We need to re-examine our hearts if that is not what we find comfort in, if that's not what we love to hear. We like things to be tangible. We like straight answer, you know. We like the formulas that can give us result. We like things that we can we can know, you know, tell me the answer, show me the result. We are living in a world like that. And so we don't like to wait. We don't like things that are, you know, showing me one step at a time. No, God, this is like too short-sighted. You better show me 50 years down the road where I will be. But this is not how God works. He just decide, He just um, decide, decided otherwise, you know. The truth is, God is sovereign. We are not in control. He is. The other day, I was just talking uh, to this church member who reminded me again, you know. Uh, he was just talking about um, this whole pandemic episode. Who would ever think that there was a period of time where everyone in Malaysia are locked down? <laughs> and we went through that. All of us, we went through that. The slogan for Asia is what? Everyone or everybody can fly. But during that lockdown period, not even the aeroplane can fly, right? We are all locked down. And even right now, even the second year, the third year into pandemic time, we are still battling COVID-19. From, from 19 to 22, we are still at COVID period. So it, re- it should remind us that we are not in full control. As human beings, we are given a bit of authority by God. We are delegated. Uh, we, are, we are given this authority by God, but we are not in full control. God is. God is the one who is sovereign, who is above every power, every, every nation, every kingdom. And so coming back to our nation is the same uh, principle as well. We must come to this realization that we are not the one who is in control of this nation. God is, God is sovereign. But what is our role then? What should we be doing? If God is sovereign, then He should do everything, right? We should not do anything at all. Is that the case? No. If God is sovereign, what should we be doing then? What did God say in the subsequent verses? Let us read this, um, these two important verses together. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. For the Israel, um, the Israelites, politics and religion is not separated. They are together, right? Nation of Israel uh, is an identity for all, right? Every Israelite is um, a Jew. You understand what I'm talking about? It's a bit like every Malay is a Muslim, that kind of idea. So over here, as they seek the answer to their political redemption, they are reminded of their God as well. What God um, is advising. The center of politics is religion. 
for the Israelites. The center of religion is God. What is God saying? And again, Christians, when we say that we are not trying to build Christendom, but definitely our answer, because we follow Jesus, we follow God, our answer has to come from God Himself, not in any individuals, not in any political parties, not even in ourselves. The answer lies with God. What is God's will for us? What is, God, what is God's will for our nation? In God's sovereignty, He will show us the way. Now, of course, God can use anyone in this world. God can even, even raise up praises among the rocks Right, So God can use anyone, including non-Christians, for His um, own name's sake. But who, according to this verse, who are the main change agent here? Who are mentioned here? Who is mentioned here as the main change factor in the eyes of God? Not other people, but the followers of God. In verse 14, God say, If my people... If my people who are called by my name, meaning we belong to God, we are called by His name, we know God and God knows us. We are the change factor. We may not be a politician. Uh, we may not, may not be running campaigns. We may not be joining. Uh, some of us, yes, some of, most of us, we don't join any political parties or campaign and all that. Some of us help out right here and there. But in the eyes of God, we are the change factor. We are the main one. We are the primary change factor. God can turn the tide based on whether or not we have humbled ourselves, we have prayed, we have uh, seek the face of God, whether or not we have turned away from our wicked ways. Because that's the word of God. That's the promise of God. If my people who are called by my name will do this and that, Sometimes, even though we don't say it, we do think like this. You know, we do think, if you are like me, you know, we do think that, I, uh, only if this group of people in Malaysia would change their hearts. If only this big group of people would change their attitude. If only they would open up and just embrace harmony. If only they would change their extreme idea or ideologies, you know, then Malaysia will move towards a brighter future. If only this group of these politicians, you know, who always try to play dirty politicking, if only this group of uh, leading politicians, they would change their hearts. They would turn away from their wicked ways. They would pray. You know? They would humble themselves. They would, they would seek the face of God. Then Malaysia would have hope. If only this political party would change, then Malaysia would have hope. My brothers and sisters in Christ, of course God can change them. You know, God can use even non-believers to achieve his godly purpose. But this morning, we are reminded that they are not the centre of the matter. They are not the centre of the matter. We keep on asking or wishing or praying for them to change. But God is looking at His people. If my people, you, if my people, if you can change, 
if you can just change and turn to me. God has placed His people in the lamp, uh, in, in, in the light because Jesus is the light of the world and we are called to you know, reflect His light as well, to be the light and the salt in this world. That is God's plan even in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We are the light of the world because we follow God. We are the primary change factor in God's eternal plan. The people of God, we must play our role well. Verse 13 tells us that not just Malaysia, um, even long ago, even in the Old Testament, few hundred years before Jesus, even at the ancient time, there were droughts, you know, there will be time uh, of famine, there will be COVID, um, 530 over BC. You know what I mean? There will be plague among the people, even back then the same kind of issues that the people at the time they have to deal with that's what we see in verse 13 and so when that time comes what do we do what are we supposed to do now let me just go back for a little bit and to test you for a while don't look at your bible verse now okay don't look at your bible now just from your memory let me ask you do you remember what you should do based on 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14? If you can only say one thing, if you can only give me one verb, one action that you should do as a Christian, given the verse, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, what would that be? What would that be? I think many of us would think about Praying, am I right? We think about praying, huh? That's why we have, um, and it is, it is, um, it is only reasonable. It is only uh, natural that we pray for Malaysia. That we pray for Malaysia in our prayer meeting, in our corporate prayer. We have prayed for Malaysia Day. We have prayed for Sarawak Day. So the first thing that we usually associate with what Christians can do for our nation is praying, right? I think. That's the case. Christians, what we can do? Pray. But you know, interestingly, in that verse, in verse 14, the first action is not praying. The first advice that God gives to His people is not praying. If my people who are called by my name will pray, will humble themselves. Will humble themselves. Humility must come before prayer. We are all disciples of Jesus. We are all followers of Jesus. But the question is, what kind? Are we a proud disciples of Jesus? That should not be the case, but sometimes it happens. Are we a proud in a negative sense, disciple of Jesus, or have we humbled ourselves? The first thing that a Christian can do for our nation is not pray, is to acknowledge that God, you are God and I'm not. 
the first thing that we should do as a Christian is to acknowledge God's sovereignty above every powers, above every authorities, above every kings, every rulers. The first thing that Christians should do for our nation is to look at God rather than putting all of our trust and all of our, our faith in a person, in a, in a hero, you know, in a political party. The first thing that we should do as a Christian is to humble ourselves. Humbling ourselves doesn't mean that, you know, we see ourselves as worthless. That's not what it means. Humbling ourselves simply means that we look at us from the right perspective of God. We are sinners. We are not worthy of God's love. Yet God, out of His eternal love, He reached out to us and He redeemed us. That's who we are. We are redeemed sinners in Christ. We need to humble ourselves. God is the giver of life and He is the sustainer of life. He will achieve His intended purpose for our nation. Our role is simply to partner with Him. Our role is to seek Him, is to listen to Him and to do what He is asking us to do. Simple as that. We are not the Saviour. Jesus is. As we humble ourselves, we can pray. Only then, we can pray according to God's will. That's why humbling comes. Humble before praying. Only when we have humbled ourselves, we can pray according to God's will. Otherwise, our prayer will be like a shopping list. You know, we are like Aladdin and God is like genie. I have a list for you. God, would you help me to fulfill number one? I wish that sin dollar to Malaysian ringgit would be one dollar to one ringgit. Number two, I wish that my prime minister would be this person rather than that person. Number three, I wish that in Malaysia, everyone will enjoy equality. That would be the kind of prayer that we will make, you know? It's like a shopping list. Nothing wrong with that, but everything wrong when we only seek to speak and we don't seek to listen. It will be the kind of prayer we are Aladdin. God is genie. <laughs> but our God is not like that. He doesn't live, you know, in a small temple, in a small little lamb. It is a God that is so mighty that we have not fully comprehend. We don't understand fully His time. We don't understand fully His will, His power, what He is doing with Malaysia, what He is doing with His church, with us. We've a lot of things that we, we wish to see, that we want, but um, you know, we need to change in the way we pray. We need to change in the way we communicate with God. Communication is two ways, right? It's not just one way. It's just like husband and wife um, some husbands do that, you know, one-way communication, or some wives do that. Just speak, 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 you know. Okay, I'm done with communicating <laughs> with my spouse or my spouses. That's not the case. You need to speak. You need to listen carefully. You need to understand. Then you need to respond. And these conversations go on, right? On and on throughout the rest of your marriage, of your life. And that's how we... Um, should pray. That's how we should 
be in a relationship with God. That's how we should communicate with God. We don't just seek to be listened, but we seek to listen as well. We don't just seek to be understood, but we seek to understand, to touch the heartbeat of God as well. And that's why we pray, not our will be done, but God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First, we have to understand what kind of will, right? Seek God's face to show us what is going on in Malaysia so that we can pray better. So that as we pray for Malaysia, God will open our eyes and to see, wow, this is happening in Malaysia. God, we can pray. God, what are you doing with this group of people? How can I pray better for them? What are some of the changes that you are showing me that I can better pray for this group of people, that group of politicians? Well, God, this is, you know, the king has just said this, but God, what is happening? Can you show me? How can I better pray for Malaysia? I don't understand, God, but can you show me? This This should be the kind of prayer that we, we learn, you know, to sit God's will, to sit His face for Malaysia and to listen to what He's doing and to watch out for what He is doing. We pray and sit and God will illuminate us. Surprisingly, the last action that appear in this verse verse 14 is turn from their wicked ways you know when I first come across this verse and um, I was thinking how come I don't understand the sequence how come turning from our wicked ways come after prayer come after seeking God's face should it come like way earlier should not Christians we, we all turn away from our wicked ways and we all turn quickly then to prayer we all turn quickly to seeking God's face. Should not we repent from our sin first and so that we can you know, do God's will better, we can pray better after we have repented from our sin. That was my inquiry. You know, when you come across God's word that you don't understand, my advice to you is you know, to just reflect and to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate you. And that's what I did. And, 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 and this is what I, I, I gained. The truth is, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't quite know what sins we have committed until we humble ourselves. Let me repeat that. We don't quite know what kind of wicked ways, what kind of sins that we need to turn away from until we have humbled ourselves. Just like husband and wife's quarrel, you know, in the heat of their quarrel, in the heat of arguments, you won't say, I'm sorry. I am wrong. You won't say that. To acknowledge that you have committed something wrong, you have to humble yourself. You have to eat the humble pie. You have to say, wife, I'm sorry, I should not have said that. You know, if you're in the heat of argument, your focus is to find fault with the other person who is arguing with you. It's your fault. Of course, I got a little bit of fault. But it's your fault. It's still your fault. Your fault is greater than mine. I got no fault. You know, you, 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 you were like that. Even if I have seen a little bit, no, no, no. That's nothing compared to what you have done. That's how we argue. Only when we find humility, only when we finally, you know, calm down and then we were like reflecting back what we have said, what we have done, then we come to a realization that, yeah, I may have said the wrong thing. Yeah, I also may have 
at the airport, you know, and then you you cry and then you <laughs> hug each other. Husband and wife, we should do that. We should humble ourselves. And even more so, you know, some um, who are wiser, even if you are not at fault, you know, you can still say, I'm sorry. Humbling of oneself, only then you can acknowledge what are some of the sins, what are some of the things that you can turn away from, that you can improve, that you can be better. Most of us, that's why we won't know what sins we need to turn away from until we humble ourselves, until we seek the, until we pray and we seek the face of God. Otherwise, we can be all seated here and we can think about, you know, are many others who are worse than me. Najib is worse than me. Rosma is worse than me. This politician is worse than me. I am a good Christian. We can all think like that. The tendency is to compare and think good of ourselves and feel good of ourselves. What about our pride? What about our commitment to Jesus? What about our honouring of God in our family, in our individual lives, in our school, uh, in our GB company, in our home, in our church? What about all this? What is God looking for? What is God seeing in us? For us, the focus is always on the other person. If only this group of people would change, Malaysia would have hope. If only my spouse would change, my family would have hope. If only my pastor would change. <laughs> what about you? What about yourself? If you do not humble yourself, you can't pray rightly. If you can't pray rightly, you can't seek the face of God. If you can't seek the face of God, you won't know what are the sins, big or small, that you need to turn away from? And so, Christians, maybe that's why Malaysia is not changing yet. Maybe that's why Malaysia has not been fully transformed yet. Because we have not done all this. We have not humbled ourselves and really pray and really sit God's face and trust that He can do the amazing thing. He can do a miracle with Malaysia. Because we are blinded to what is happening at the background. We are blinded in the spiritual warfare that is happening. We don't know how to pray. We don't seek God's will and that's why we don't pray. We don't pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't pray right. That's why we don't know what to turn away from and what to turn to. Only if my people do this, then God say. Let's read together verses 15 to 16. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Israelites who were in exile their answer was God God was the one who carried them back even though it was King Nebuchadnezzar remember that 
We may be living in Malaysia where we feel like the king is not for us, but you know, God is for us. If God can turn the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, He can turn the heart of anyone. Our answer is not in any kings, it's not in any politicians. Our answer is in God and in ourselves because God says so. If we do that, God says His eyes will be open, His ears will be attentive, He will forgive us our sin, He will heal our land. He has decided He will dwell among us. He has chosen this place, His temple, to be a symbol of His presence. His eye and His heart will be there forever and never. As I bring everything to a close, I just want to remind all of us again that God is sovereign, whether you like it or not. You may not like it because you want to have something that you can see, something that you can do, and then you feel like you are in control. But God doesn't function like that. He's greater than that. He's sovereign. He's not a genie, you know, He's God. God had intended to choose this place for His purpose. God has intended, He can choose anyone else. He can choose even a non-believer, but He has intended His people for that purpose, for that godly purpose, to transform our families, to transform our nation. God has intended us, God's people, to be the change factor. And so acknowledging God's sovereignty bring us to a place where we just need to humble ourselves. It's not what we do, you know. It's what God is doing. It's not what we pray, but how we pray as well. It's not who we are, but what God is turning us to and what He is doing in this world. Other people is not the main change factor. They play a role, yes, but in God's eyes, we are the primary mover because we seek God's will because we pray rightly. And so God will bring His Word to pass. Prayer is not the first action. Humbling is. God's will then be done fully on earth as it is in heaven. Two questions for you. Number one, is God's sovereignty enough reason for you to trust Him? Think about that. Number two, considering the passage this morning, how must you change in the way you pray. Maybe in the past, you pray one-way prayer, right? God, thank you, thank you. This is uh, what I want. That is what I want. Thank you, thank you. Bye-bye. Amen. But, you know, uh, you should change that <laughs> to seek the will of God. Take time, even in silence, to listen to God's voice. Even though it may not be very loud, but you take time to seek God's will. Let us reflect upon the questions and we take time to respond in our personal prayer right now.